Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good afternoon. Praise the Lord that we can get a chance to just worship in this space tonight. Uh, I do want to make a quick announcement before we get started. On February the 3rd, which is a couple Sundays from now, uh, we will actually have one service. As you know, we have our 4 and our 6 o'clock service. There will be no 6 o'clock on February 3rd. That is an intentional uh, reason why we're doing that is because oftentimes when you create a space like this where you have two services, people within those two services never actually get a chance to meet one another. And so we're actually creating a all one service kind of mentality. So uh, hopefully you can reorientate your time to come to the four o'clock so you can get connected and meet people in our church and also get connected to some people you don't know. And also on February 3rd, we will be announcing our new round of city groups, the locations that they'll be in. We pray that you get signed up. We pray also that you come early. As you know, uh, tonight, I think because of MLK, Uh, There's not as many people here, but that weekend, there'll probably be more people. So try to come early on February 3rd. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. God is on the move. God is moving right now. As we sit here in this space, God is doing things. God is rearranging things. He's changing lives right now. He's bringing a family together right now through his power and his presence. God right now is restoring the identity of someone to make them feel more whole, to help their mind get in the right place. God is moving right now. God is actually speaking into the life of a little girl and there's giving her life to him. God is moving right now and God is not bound. God is not bound to a habitation or a place. He's not bound to Brooklyn. He's not bound to Botswana. God is moving in Indonesia. He's moving in Tunisia. God is moving all across the globe. God is not limited, nor is he bound. God is moving everywhere. He's doing things that are beyond our comprehension. God is on the move. How do we know? How can we see God moving? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Moses, the writer, gives us a little information that displays more of what this creation story was about. In verse 2, it says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, in this mystery of creation, we see that there was already a formed ball in a sense, but it says it, it has this space, but ultimately it's formless, empty, void. It's chaos. There's emptiness. And God, like a good leader, comes and he begins to bring order to chaos. That's what good leaders do. And in creating order, you know, God's flinging lights places and he's putting moons places and he's creating the stars. He's putting water places. You know, you know how leaders be doing, right? But, you know, there's something you might miss. It says, the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Before God said, let there be light, the spirit was making a move. I got struggles with insomnia, y'all. Y'all can pray for me, praise God. 
A lot of things on TV late at night. I watch ESPN. A lot of, there's a lot of different sporting events up late night. Poker. So I watch poker. And uh, I actually don't know how to play poker, but, you know, I'm up, so why not, right? And I watch it, and I always wondered, why are they wearing shades? You know, it just, I don't get it. And so I looked it up, and they wear shades because they call it having a tell. Sometimes when you got a good hand and you're about to make a move, you put your shades on because sometimes people make a, uh, I don't, actually, I don't know what they do because they wear shades, but I'm just making this up. But maybe their eyebrow goes up or they, they twitch their nose, but there's something they do physically to show a tell that they're about to make a move. God has a tell. Hmm? When he's about to make a move, his tell is the spirit begins to move on men and women when he wants to do something. He wants to move someplace. He wants to move in a neighborhood. He wants to do something on a job. He wants to move in the lives of people in a given area. And what he'll do, although he could do it himself, for some reason, God decides to use broken, inconsistent people. And what he does is he will wrap himself up in a man or a woman and empower them to do the things that he wants them to do. It says in the scriptures in Judges chapter 3, when Israel was chaotic in the book of Judges, it says, the Lord raised up Athnael. In verse 10, it says, the spirit of the Lord came on him and he judged Israel. Now notice it doesn't say Athnael was so wise and he had this incredible ability. It says the spirit of God moved and then he began to judge. The spirit moved on him and then he began to lead. Secondly, 2 Chronicles 24, 20, Zechariah, it says the spirit of God enveloped Zechariah. And then it goes on to say, he stood above the people and said to them, this is what God says. God wanted to say something. So the spirit of God enveloped Zechariah. God wanted to do something. God wanted to say something. And the first thing you see is his spirit moving on someone so that he might do it through them. God is making his move right now. And he's making his move through people. And it would be a mistake this weekend as we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. If we only saw him as a socio-political leader leading the civil rights movement, you would be right to see him as that type of leader. But don't get it twisted. Martin Luther King Jr. at core was a Baptist preacher. He did not just quote Jesus. He was a man of God. Though he would quote Nietzsche and he would quote Kant, he would quote all Kierkegaard and all these great philosophers and Gandhi, Jesus was not someone he was just putting out as a philosophy. He was using the words prophetically to speak of the kingdom of God in a place that was broken and chaotic. In other words, God was on the move. God was on the move in America because in 1863, January 1st, it was the Emancipation Proclamation put into order. And then 100 years later, in August of 1963, the people had had a march on Washington. And they said, free in 63. It's been 100 years. We're not seeing this kind of leadership we thought we would have. We're not seeing our lives get better. No, we're not slaves, but Jim Crow had just re replaced slavery. We're seeing all this segregation and degradation. And God raised up Martin Luther King to speak prophetically into a country that had lost its way. And in so doing, people will quote the dream speech 
for its greatness. But don't get it twisted. When he's talking about justice flowing like water, he's quoting the book of Amos. He says, but let justice flow like water and righteousness like an unfailing stream. When he talks in his crescendo, when he talks about valleys being exalted, he's quoting Isaiah 40. Every hill and mountain be made low, the rough places made plain. MLK was just quoting a prophet that was already here. He was a man of God. God was on the move. But we'd also be mistaken if we would presume that God only uses the Othniels, the Zacharias, and the Martin Luther King Juniors. God has not quarantined his spirit to a select few great leaders. It is not the people who have this wealth of gifting and this wealth of anointing that he has quarantined for use. This is what the Lord says. Now, y'all got to hear this. this is, Jesus actually said this, y'all. I promise you, he said this. John 14, 12. This will blow your mind. Truly. Now, he had to say truly because you ain't going to believe it. <laughs> truly. I'm not playing with you. I'm not playing with you. I tell you. Who? You. You. Truly, I tell you, the one who, anyone, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do. Mm. And he will, he ups the ante, and he will even do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. Now see, we read a verse like that and we're like, okay, greater. Do the things you did. Didn't you, you, you rose the, you, you was raising the dead, right? Ooh. Didn't you turn water into wine? I heard about that. That's hot. I don't think, I don't know if I can. Right? You're walking on water. You see, when he says the things that I do and the greater things that you will do, Jesus is not saying you're going to have some more power than he had. What he is talking about is not a qualitative work that you would do. But he is saying that when God, when Jesus ascends into heaven and his spirit comes down and empowers people, there will now be a quantitative work now done. In other words, his spirit will now spread and all his people will now just be a select few leaders. It will be a movement that God is doing through his people and it cannot be contained. Because God will be on the move through his people not just through select leaders. God wanted to make a move. And in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he tells the people right before he ascends, in verse 8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Who? Me? You. You. He wants to empower you. This text is for you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. God wanted a global movement through people. Now the Lord, we already know, has inherent power. We know that God can do all things. The, the Bible says here that the word power in Greek, it's dunamis power, meaning 
it's the same word we get for dynamite. It's explosive power, the kind of power that changes situations radically where they were one way and now they're another. And we know that God has that kind of power, but he's saying that power will now reside in you. And I love here because he says, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Here, he's telling us that witnessing is not just this posture of walking up to people and telling them about Jesus because he says you will be my witness, not that you will go out witnessing, i.e., this is now your identity. You now have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do things, and Jesus is causing us to be on the move, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. This is not a stagnant thing. This is a movement thing. God is moving, and he wants to move through his people. We cannot live the Christian life in the way that God has intended it if we live it in our own power and in our own strength. We can never fulfill all that God has called us to do and to be if we are trying to live it in our own strength. He's saying that you are a witness, meaning you have encountered the power of God and you now operate by that power. You are a witness. This power that he speaks of is God's ability. God can do a lot, can't he? God's ability. And if we begin to do things with God's ability, we multiply all that we could do. John 15 and 5 Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now here, he flips it. And he's not talking about a quantitative work. He's talking about a qualitative work. He's saying the work that you do will have no real eternal significance if you don't include me in it. So here we have on one side, God's ability. The spirit of God living inside the believer. But here over here, you know, mama told you you were special, and you are. Mama told you you were skilled, and you are. And you were bright, and you still bright. And you, you can network, yeah. And you meet the people and you put your resume on Indeed, you know what I'm saying? And someone saw it and you got the job and you're a big deal. Yes. But you will never be all that God has called you to be if you always rely on your capability. Over here is God's ability. Here is, is your capability. Over here is God's ability, and over here is your credibility. Yeah, you try to build yourself up. Over here is God's ability, and here's your compatibility. You want to make relationships in your own strength. God does not want you to rest in those abilities. He wants you to rest in God's ability. Right now, while I'm talking, there, are, there is something you are working on. There is something you are wrestling with. There is a burden you have. And the reason why it is weighing so heavy on you is not that God hasn't placed it there. God placed it there so that you'd give it to him. Imagine right now if I had a basketball up here and I'm trying to play. And I don't hoop, so I have no, I have no game, no skills. I play football. I can hit people. I can't bounce the ball. But if you put an NBA player up here, they start doing all their stuff and they start moving and whatnot, and the same ball is just different hands. 
And the reality is, it's the same situation. It's just the problem is it's in your hands. God wants it in his hands. It's in his hands. Right in the, I'm saying that right now while I'm speaking, I want you to think of that thing that you've been wrestling with, working on, thinking through, burdened by, and it is not a problem. That's meant for God's problem. That's supposed to be on God's to-do list. Surrender to him. And God has given you power to work through anything and everything, but it is a matter of you operating by his ability. So this explosive, dunamis, dynamite-type power gets empowered, it gets enacted, not through our own strength, but through surrender. Power in God's economy happens through surrender. I am the vine. You can't do anything without me. And so, Peter, as Acts goes on, Peter preaches. The Holy Spirit comes down. Peter preaches. And then in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it says, he says, And then it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on who? All people. All people. I want to pour out my spirit. And then he said, and then he, qual- he qualifies. He just makes clear. I don't know if y'all get what I mean when I say all people. Sons and your daughters will prophesy. Then he goes on. He says in verse 18, he's, I will even pour out my spirit on my what? Servants. Not apostles. Not, not, just, not, not bishops. Not pastors. Not worship leaders. Not the educated, not the trained, not the seminarian, on my servants. And it will be that both, I love he clarifies this, both men and women, and they will prophesy. Now, I don't know where you come from, and I don't know your, 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 your religious background, but here, our understanding of this idea of prophecy is not just to Uh, foretell, in other words, to predict the future per se. But this is talking about speaking forth from the word of God. That was not only MLK's power was his eloquence, but that he was able to speak prophetically. He spoke truth to power with power, the word of God. It is then, therefore, that we are prophetic when we are empowered by the word of God to speak into situations, to right wrongs based upon what God thinks and what God says. And he has unleashed his word, and he has unleashed his people. Therefore, a prophetic witness, a prophetic witness. God here tells us that we will be his witnesses. And he also says that we will have a gift of prophecy poured out on us by his spirit. So a prophetic witness is when the word of God and the power of God is working through you The the power of God comes through surrender. And the word of God is a matter of being informed, of knowing what God wants and what God says. Unfortunately, much of the way we program church today is functioning as if the spirit of God resides on only a few anointed leaders. Most churches are an audience and a crowd listening to a leader and a singer, basking in oratorical greatness, bathing in musical talent. 
All the while, yes, God has anointed apostles and teachers and prophets and pastors and worship leaders. He's anointed them, no question. But God always intended it, as we just saw in the text, that you would be informed by the word and empowered by the spirit, that you could do the same things. I appreciate. Whenever somebody says, Pastor, that was a good sermon, I appreciate that. Thank you. I certainly do. When someone says, man, you kept my attention, I appreciate that. I do. And I try to tell stories and give analogies so that I could keep your attention. Praise God. But I'm not, as, I'm not half as good as the Bible. Here, here's what I'm trying to tell you. The, I was, you ever been in this situation? Somebody's like, you know, you ever been around? Somebody's like, oh, did you see this movie? And everybody's like, yo, that movie was hot. That, and then there's always that one person. Did you read the book? <laughs> you, know, you know that person? That person exists, right? They're like, did you read the book, though? Okay, it's totally different. They, put, they left out a whole lot of stuff. Book's so much better. Yeah, you got to check out the book. Yeah, yeah, you got to put in the work. You know what I'm saying? But you know, the movie was I, right? Well, just like the book is better than the movie, the book is so much better than this sermon. Just when you see, I'm, I'm cutting things out. I'm editing right now. But when you are informed, you know, you, you, your prayers are more powerful when they're informed. A life is more empowered when it's informed. A life is more, has more capacity when it's informed. And what I'm saying is God has gifted you with his spirit. You must start to respond and surrender. But he's also guided us through his word. We don't want to be directionless. We want to be directed. We want to be clear. We want to know what God wants. God is not hiding. He's not keeping his revelation in secret. He has revealed himself. And he, we must be informed with what he says about himself. Tim Keller notes that when revival happens, when God starts moving in a city or a community, cultural Christians, people that have said, I'm saved for I don't know how long, they, they think of themselves as Christians. They start to get converted. They start to give their life to Christ because they're seeing the reality that their lives matter and they don't have to be in the background anymore and they give themselves to God and they shave off all that religiosity. Oftentimes, you know, ne next week we are having baptisms and oftentimes when we have baptisms, people will say, I was in church when I was growing up and then, and then all of a sudden they, they come into our church or they meet somebody from our church and they see Jesus in that person. They say, I don't have what they have. And what they realize is that they've had a church experience, but not a Jesus encounter. See, that's what's happening right now. It's, it's not eloquence. It's power of the Spirit. It's not, it's not humor. It's not, it's not articulation. It's not stories. It's not illustrations. None of those things move the ball down the field. None of those things change lives. It's the Spirit of God, and that is what's convicting some of you right now. That's what's, that's what's messing with your head, that moment where you go, is he talking to me? That's not me. I don't know your situation. That's the Spirit of the living God. God is doing that. And you, you are not here today by coincidence. And some of you need to give your life over to Christ today. And no more church playing, and no more I got to clean myself up type of stuff. That today you need to say, I don't want to be in church. I want Christ working through me. I want to live fully for him. Also, revival, when, when a church begins to be on mission and 
You see the Spirit of God working neutral Christians, people who are believers, but their lives show little power and fruit of the Spirit. They begin to wake up, and you begin to see good works, and you begin to see them be involved in a church and involved in a community, and you begin to see that this passion for Christ cannot be limited to one Sunday or a weekend, but it is throughout the week. It is empowering their lives, and people see it on their job, and their family begins to see it, and things start happening. And then people who have never thought of themselves as Christian, maybe they call themselves spiritual, but they never thought of themselves Christian. Non-Christians start to give their life to Christ. This happens when the Spirit of God is working through a people and begin to move throughout the city. And this is happening because people are seeing the beauty of Christ in people. They're seeing Jesus in you. And they begin to join. They say, I want that. And that's in the city. And when God starts moving in you personally, you'll be more bold. Boldness will begin to happen throughout your life. Acts chapter 4 is a situation. Peter and John had been preaching and teaching and Peter and John are in front of the Sanhedrin. These are the most educated and most trained people. They're the Jewish leaders of the day, and they were in a position they could laugh at their, at their inability to articulate themselves. They were, they were people that knew all the insights of the Old Testament. Peter and John get in front of the Sanhedrin because they had performed a miracle. And they boldly say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Well, the people, the Sanhedrin, are looking at each other. Because, you know, Peter had this thick Galilean accent. He was a little hood, you know what I'm saying? He was just like, oh, man, this dude, he's, he's slurring his speech. What's going on? And John up there, you know, and with him, that's his boy. And they're like, look at these people. And they say, in verse 13, when they observe the boldness of Peter and John, and they realized they were uneducated and untrained men. They were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. They could tell. You see, it's, 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 it's interesting. They would have been okay if they were bold because they were bold in their education. And they would have been okay if they were bold because they were bold because of their training. But they were amazed because the boldness that they had was unique and different. See, boldness, Christ-like boldness, is not just the person that's willing to do something crazy in front of everybody and wild out and say the thing no one else is willing to say. Not that kind of boldness. Christ-like boldness is a mixture of confidence and humility. Oh, yeah, not just that. Not boldness to call people out, but to call people up. I'm talking about, like, forgiveness-type boldness, you know, forgiving that person, talking to that person no one else talks to on your job, everybody talks about, but you're willing to sit next to them at lunch. I'm talking about that kind of boldness. Not the boldness to set yourself apart, but the boldness to go low, that kind of boldness. You see, in the, this boldness was in them as they spoke the things of God, and they noticed, man, you got no education, you got no training, but there's something about you. This was one of the first verses I memorized. You know, I'm telling you, when I tell people this, they don't believe me, and maybe that means that I sound like I read a little bit, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, I graduated high school with a 1.7. How I graduated is still miraculous, 
by the work of the Spirit. I played football. They put me in classes that I had to do no work in. I was on that football field. I did no work. I did no papers or anything. I'm that guy that they make reports about on like 2020. Like people aren't doing schoolwork. Like I was that dude, right? Literally, I graduated. So when I started, the first time I started to really read and study was the Bible. And I read the book of Acts, and it was like, these guys are uneducated and untrained, but they could tell like they walked with Jesus. I was like, well, I've not been good with education. I ain't got no training, but I could walk with Jesus. And then the same way you use Peter and John, you could use me. And there's something powerful when, they, when people see Jesus in you. <laughs> Coming up here, there are going to be these people. Watch for them. In February around spring, maybe a little bit before spring, maybe winter break. They're going to go to a hot area. They're going to go to Jamaica. They're going to go to Cancun. They're going to take pictures. They're going to post them. Mm-hmm, yeah. And we're going to be here in the cold shoveling snow, and they're going to make us covet and be jealous, right? And they're going to come back. Yeah, they'll come back to the city. And they'll come back, and the girl will see her say, Hey, girl, look at you. Where have you been? It's like, I can, don't tell me where you went, but girl, I can tell you've been in the sun, huh? Yeah. Right? Because her complexion changed. But in the same way, people can tell we've been with the sun because our character changes. Oh, it's not nothing we say. It's something inside of us. We move differently. Our posture is different. No, it's not because we are saying more. It's probably because we're saying less. Amen. Hallelujah. Talk about it. Preach. (laughs) The leaders of the Sanhedrin decide they want to stop this movement. Acts chapter 4, verse 17. They, They literally say, So that this does not spread. we got to stop this Jesus thing. So this does not spread any further among the people. Let's threaten them against speaking to anyone in this name again. Don't bring up the name. Notice what they said. They didn't have a problem with the healing. Do that. But don't use that name. Call call it something else. Call it nice. Call it guy. Don't don't talk about the, the, the J word. You know what I'm saying? Don't use that name. So they called for them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Because if you bring that name up, things might get rearranged and all of our situations may change. You know, Pete and John, they hood though. You know, they're like, we, we, they've been raised on the rough side of the tracks. And they're like, they say to them, well, they look at each other like, well, whether it's right by you, which I don't know, in the sight of God, rather in sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you got to decide that. Like, that's on you. You want to create that rule? That's on you. But for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. What Peter and John were saying was that we have an encounter that not just must be told, but is a part of identity. We cannot act like we have not been changed and that we have not seen the power of God move. No, 
you cannot quiet. You might be quiet. You might be able to quiet my voice, but you cannot quiet who I am. I am a Christian. This is who I am. Christ has changed my life. It is my identity, not just my activity. This is who I am. You see, so he says that you, you cannot stop that. Even before when we saw in Acts 1, he says you have, you're called to be a witness, not just to go out and do things. It's who you are. I said, no, we, we can't stop. This verse was used by King and many others to put the idea of civil disobedience on display, that sometimes the governing authorities put laws in place that we might need to go against, i.e., we might need to protest. We might need to work against the rule or law put in place that is coming against the things of God. And certainly that can be the case, that we might have to need civil disobedience. But church, sometimes we need cultural disobedience. Because though there's no rule, the culture wants us to quietly not talk about Jesus. To shave off the Jesus part. And the reality is that here, they're only telling the story that they've been involved with. That they're not trying to proselytize. Rather, they're persuading based upon how they've been persuaded. Acts chapter 4, verse 21, they threatened them further, but they had to release them because no one can stop the move of God. In verse 29 and 30, they come together with their friends and they say, we need to pray, y'all, because these are gonna, this is only going to happen more. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Watch, listen to what they pray now. Listen to what they pray. And grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Didn't they, weren't they just bold? Well, what happened is Peter and John come back, and their people, the people that heard them tell the story, say, we want that kind of boldness. Can, can we pray to have that kind of boldness while they continue in their prayer? While you stretch out your hand for healing, signs, wonders, perform through what? The name of your holy servant, Jesus. We want more boldness, and we want to see you do more things, God. We want to see more miracles. We want to see more healings. We want to see more lives change. In other words, God, we know you want to move. Can you do your move in front of me? And, ooh, can I be a part of it? I'd like to be in your next move. I know you're going to move, but I'd like to be in your next move. Could you use me in your move? Do more. Make us more bold. Well, then the people, it says in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. The place started shaking. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? They began to speak the word of God more boldly. What do you know? They asked God to do something. And he did it. Isn't that wild? They said, we saw Peter and John get bold. So can you make us bold? And God said, you got it. You want to be more bold for me? You want to be on mission for me? You want to do more in my name? You got it. 
You know what kind of prayer that is? That, that, that's not a hard prayer for God to answer. That's like when my daughter comes and say, Mommy, Daddy, can I, can I make the table for you? For yes, you can make the table. Can I sweep up? Yes. You want to do something I already wanted to do? Yes. Yes, you can do it. Ask tomorrow. Come back and ask tomorrow to do the same thing. Because I love it when my children ask me to do the things I wanted to do anyway. They want to partner with me to do the things I want to do. That's what this kind of prayer is. God, make me more bold. Use me more. I want to be part of healing and miracles in the lives of people. I want to see your name go forth. Ooh, God's like, yes. And it says, the way that this happened, church, is that they prayed, and after they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God gave his tell. The Spirit moved on them, and they began to speak more boldly. And you say, well, the filling of the Spirit, well, that doesn't mean you need to pray in tongues or speak in tongues. If you do pray in tongues, speak in tongues, amen. I might pray and speak with you. Praise God. We partner together, and Shonda and Honda all together. But that does not define the movement of the Spirit. Tongues is not the definition of the Spirit. It's an aspect of it. When the Spirit of God is moving, people start loving more. So, amen. But this is the reality. For the Spirit to use you and work through you, it is not that you are getting more of the Spirit. The Spirit is getting more of you. That you are a more surrendered person. And you are living a life on mission because you are living a life in the Spirit. That's what we talked about last week, that we never want to put the mission of God before the, 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 the power of God. We need the power of God to do those things that God is calling us to do. So, uh, in closing... And just to wrap your mind around this, there's three things, three specific things. Now, we're going to have a time where we pray in the back. And some of you, as I'm saying this, there are specific areas that you know you need to not just grow in. You, there's things you need to let go of. And, and you know, you need to, we need to, y'all, we need to reassess the Christian life because some of us have grown up thinking that the Christian life is a bunch of don'ts. And you haven't heard the do's. You haven't heard the idea of just living for God and being out there and doing what. In other words, the Christian life is an adventure. It is a faith walk of doing, seeing God do things through you that you couldn't have possibly imagined. More than you could imagine. And our, our living is too low level. And so, do this. Pray bold, specific prayers. Oftentimes, we don't pray with specifics because we don't want God to disappoint us, right? Right? Because if you disappoint me, I may not run back to you, right? But the reality is it takes more courage to pray a specific prayer again When you pray again, you ask God again. But another part of being bold is not just boldness for my life. God, help me do, do this, you know, do this thing I needed. Help me rent, God, rent. Do, remember that prayer? Rent, Jesus, rent, right? <laughs> pray that prayer, money prayer. Yes, God, do it. Prosperity, you know, just 
provide. Amen. But could I just say this? You have to start praying for things that are bigger than you. Because God wants to do something bigger than you. So if you only pray for you, you'll never be a part of doing things that are bigger than you. God wants to do something through you bigger than you. If God answered all your prayers last year, would the world change? Would the world be any different? If God said yes, he just gave this unlimited yes, would, would, would lives be changed? Would families be back together? Would there be healing in the city? Would, 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 would places be restored? Would people be whole? God has placed you in a broken situation somewhere so that you can be part of restoration, that you can be part of healing. God is letting you see trial and pain so that you could be a part of bringing things back together. Secondly, speak boldly about Jesus. I'm not talking about proselytization. I'm just talking about tell people what actually happened. Yeah, I, I got to tell people what I've seen and what I heard. You lose 20 pounds. People are like, what happened? You're like, keto. Right? Cut back on the gluten, whatever you did. Right? But you just tell people the encounter that you had and that by which it worked through. And honestly, for us, I get it. We're in New York City. And I get it. Everybody's spiritual. And I get that everybody has a problem with Christianity. But very few people have a problem with Jesus. Start talking about Jesus. Well, you know, I grew up in church. I got it. But I'm just Jesus. Give Jesus credit for everything he's been doing in your life. Boldly, boldly. Tell people Jesus did it. Tell them Jesus did it. Don't say it. Don't, don't, cut it. don't cut off that name. Put that name in it. Put that name in it. Yes, the record will stop. People will be like, oh, well, Jesus. It's okay. Give him the credit. And then live in authentic fellowship. Allow people to spur you on. Remember, when they prayed together, the place was shaken because all the people wanted more boldness. People wanted to see lives change. And when the people of God come together to see something radical, we may not see this place shake, but we will see change. We will see transformation. Danger, warning. Can any of us stop the power of God? Can any of us stop the move of God? No. But God may move and have a move for you, and you may miss it. I mean that with all my heart. The scriptures tell us in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared a work for us to do. He's prepared a work for you to do, and yes, you can miss it. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine a work that God had set up for you just had you customized for you. Okay, and go, and you miss it. And it says in Mark that Jesus was going around in all these cities. He was doing great things. Bam! Soon, raising the dead. Goes to Nazareth. And it says in Nazareth, it says in Nazareth that he could not perform miracles in that city because of their unbelief. And we can be like Nazareth. 
where God wants to do something, but we're not operating in faith. We can be like Nazareth, where there's something God has called us to do, a space to go. And the next space, the next thing that God wants you to do, it will take faith, soul-crushing faith. Faith. It will be by faith. And the scripture goes on to say that the church throughout all Judea, in Acts 9, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria was strengthened and and increased in numbers and God was on the move and he was doing things all throughout the city. And there were all these leaders he was raising up and people he was using. And that story in Acts, I never thought, I never thought when I first read it when I was a 1.7 graduate in high school, in college, you know, teachers were literally giving me answers to tests because they knew I just didn't do work. My homeboys broke in to the business teacher's office to get the answer key. And I used it. I was a sinner, praise God. I was like, oh, that's crazy. Thank you. I used it. Yes. And a year later, I was teaching Bible study and seeing my friends get saved. I was uneducated and untrained, but I walked with Jesus. And I'm saying, you, God wants to use you. My father, some of you know my dad's a preacher. (laughs) And my dad is a very interesting person. I'm trying to get him to come here to preach, but he's busy. So whatever. And um, one time, I was about 15 years old. Sitting in the back, right about there, my homeboys, you know, I'm grown, 15, you know how that works. So I'm in the back and I'm laughing and joking. And I'm making a little bit too much noise during the sermon, you know what I'm saying? And I'm back there joking. And my dad, you know, old school church, if you know old school church, the preacher sits up here. And, you know, the the, pastor is up there preaching and my dad was the associate pastor, so he was sitting down right here. And I'm in the back joking, and my dad kind of leaned at me and gave me that look like, you better chill. He he looked at me. But what I did was I was like, I leaned away like, oh, no, 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 you ain't going to catch me. I'm back. I'm cool. I'm 15. You know what I'm saying? I'm chilling with my friends, you know. You're going to have to wait till after the sermon to talk to me. I see my dad lean in. He's like, hey. And I was like, I'm going to ignore you. I'm going to ignore you. True story. Mervyn L. David was the pastor. He's up there, mm, and God, and he said, mm, and my dad was like, excuse me, I'm sorry, excuse me, excuse me. Hey, you. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but still, I'm like, maybe he's not talking to me because that is my daddy. He said, you, and I said, who, me? <laughs> he said, yeah, you. Get up here. And I was like, wow. And I stood up. I walked over. And every, I mean, all the heads was like. And they looked at me like, I thought you were a good boy. I was like, I don't know who I am anymore. I was like, I'm leaving home. And I go and I sit down in front. And my dad's like, yeah. See that? I was like, wow. And for some of you, God has been trying to get your attention. 
And he has said, you, and you know what you did? You went, oh, <laughs> you talking to them. And he says, hey, you, and you went, not me. And he's had to turn off some of the faucets in your life so that you'd only drink from his well. He's had to break situations in some of your lives so that you would only have his attention. And you know what he was saying? Yeah, you, I want you. I want all your heart. No, 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 no. I don't want halfway you. I want all of you. You, you, I want to use you. You, 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 the pastor, you, the worship, you, you. God wants to use you. He wants your attention. He wants your affection. And tonight, no matter where you're at in the Christian life, we still can get caught in this space of keeping him priority and keeping his mission central. God wants to use you. He wants to use you tonight, tomorrow. We're going to have some prayer in the back. And I pray that you would go to the back and just be prayed over. We're going to worship for a second. We're going to create an atmosphere of surrender in this place. And some of you tonight, some of you just need to give your life fully over to Jesus. No more clean yourself up. No more pausing. No more games. None of that. You need Jesus tonight. And yes, you are going to be broken tomorrow. You're going to mess up. Yes, that's right. And you're going to come back the next Sunday, and you're going to mess up. It's going to keep going, and all of a sudden, just like that little baby. You see my two-year-old running around? You see her? You remember, remember two years ago when she was like, and then all of a sudden, she took that first step, and it was like, oh, my God. Great. Right? Because that's what it means to be born again. It takes time. It takes time. And some of you are not allowing yourself time, grace. But tonight, tonight we just need to make a decision. At 2019, 2019, surrender. I'm going to operate in the power and the authority and the word of God. Jesus, your power, your presence, that's our posture. You, we want you, and you want us. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, fill us, fill us, control us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Oh, I surrender all to you. Everything I give to you with Withholding nothing, withholding nothing, withholding nothing. In a second here, we're going to sing in this song, I give you all of me, all of me. And let this song not just be a melody we make to be in this crowd, but let it be a melody flowing from your heart. God, no more spaces and places I keep quarantined from you, all of me. All of me. You can have all of me, God. 
And tonight, by way of reminding ourselves how we were able to be empowered by the Spirit, we'll take communion. For in that moment, Jesus was taking this bread, breaking it, and when he broke it, he was saying, this is my body. He took blood. He poured it out. He was saying, this is my blood for you, for you, so that you would live a life for me. Tonight, you'll take the communion. But others of you, we ask that you would go to the back and be prayed for. That tonight, you just need to pour yourself out for a second. And just like the place got shaken because they had prayed together, you need to get shaken back there and have somebody pray over you. And just say it. Just say it. Just say where you are with God. And allow him to step into that space. If we could have the communion come. You'll come down these aisles. You'll go out the outer aisles. Many of you need to take some time to go to the back and be prayed for. There are people waiting to just pray with you and for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, all, all of me, not some. I don't want you in part, and I don't want you to have me in part. All. I want all of you, Jesus. I want to experience your power this year in miraculous ways. I want to see people healed and changed and lives saved and rearranged. And ooh, ooh, pick me. Use me. I'm available. May that be the posture of our hearts. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.